Hey there traders, looking to take the guesswork out of trading and only 10 minutes a day? Then you need to head on over to AIStockTradingSystem.com right now, where you can get our five-step system to take the guesswork out of trading in only 10 minutes per day. And the only place to get that is at AIStockTradingSystem.com. That's AIStockTradingSystem.com. The thing to learn from that one example is that you don't have to work very hard to try to make money and to be aggressive in terms of uh, going after the profits. You need to protect against the times when uh, it's going to clock you and you're going to be out of the game. So if you can protect the risk and just wait for the markets to do what they always do sooner or later, make a move and exploit it, then you're, you're golden. This is the How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast brought to you by 10MinuteStockTrader.com, where we cover finance, stocks, options, entrepreneurship, education, and money. And here's your host, voted one of the top 100 people in finance, Christopher Ewell. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. I have three special free gifts for you over at 10MinuteStockTrader.com. That's the triple stock profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, how to easily discover proven backtested 100% plus winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours at 10minutestocktrader.com. The triple stock profits ebook, the free web class, and the bullish power cheat sheet. And all you gotta do is go to 10minutestocktrader.com. Markets are people. People are predictable. Outlier can show you how to track market fear and greed with artificial intelligence on over 1,300 of the largest market cap names. Visit outlier.com to learn more. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. They have a free pilot program for the rest of 2021 so you can get access to right now at O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. That's O-V-T-L-Y-R.com. Hey, make sure you subscribe and hit the bell so you'll be notified every time we give you more tools, tips, and tricks to help you trade faster and trade smarter every single week. Hey there, traders. Welcome back to today's How to Trade Stocks and Options podcast. Today, I have a very, very special guest on the line, Tom Basso. Tom is one of the new market wizards, and he's been around, I don't know, Tom, how long would you say you've been trading now? A couple uh, years. About 45 years, I think. 45 so years. Jeez. Tom, <laughs> right now, uh, I'd like to, you know, encourage everyone to go check out Tom's website, enjoytheride.world. And, and you'll see that Tom has been named Mr. Serenity. And I can already tell from our pre-conversation that uh, he, he is a very laid back guy. And I really do appreciate that. Yeah. Tom, thanks so much for coming on today. Hey, Chris, it was, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. Yeah, you know, you and I, we've we've had a couple of chats online, um, mainly in Steve Burns' group, the uh, New Traders, Rich Traders. Yep. And uh, so I, I'm, I'm very excited to have you on. I, I'm doing my best to collect as many opportunities to talk to the market wizards as I can. Yeah. So That's... Tom, tell me how you got started. Uh, it goes back to, you know, delivering papers and 12 years old, I, I bought my first mutual fund. That That's where it all started. And uh, by the time I got out of... Uh, Clarkson University with a chemical engineering degree in 1974. We had just gone through a 73, 74, 50% 50 down bear market in stocks. And 
I was going out into the business world looking for chemical engineering jobs uh, in the middle of an oil embargo back in those days, probably before you were born, maybe. And um, so things were interesting for chemical engineers. We were in great demand because oil was not available and there was gas lines at the pump and everything. And so I started studying stocks along with the other chemical engineers that I worked with. And we just, you know, get together at lunch and talk about books we've read and ideas that we had on stocks. And one thing led to another. And I started up a stock portfolio and I caught a lot of the bull market after that bear market. So that was a good time to not learn very much, but it, it made me some money and it staked my uh, futures trading, which lost money for four straight years, less each year though. So I got better <laughs> and better and better. And then I finally got to the point where I was uh, making a profit trading futures. I'd already made a bunch of money trading stocks and then started moving sort of so many people started asking me, you know, could you manage our assets or could you run the investment club that we put together and stuff like that. And one thing led to another, we eventually registered three of us. And then I sold my shares of that company in St. Louis and uh, formed Trendstat, which I was able to control and, um, and push in the direction that I thought it should go. And uh, at the peak, we managed about 600 million and, and uh, closed it all down and retired and put a smile on my face uh, in 2003. And so I've been retired now, I guess, 18 years. And uh, it's been fun. I love retirement. Yeah, I can imagine. So as an engineer, uh -huh. you know, I, I've heard both sides of the stories from engineer traders, right? Some, some of them say they're, they're the best kind of traders because they're so analytical. Some of them say they're the worst kind of traders because they can't <laughs> handle the unexpected values of the stock market changes, right? Because it's not math, mm -hmm. you know, in, in one way or another, because you have the variable of the market movements that you can't account for like you could in uh, a regular math equation. Yeah. Exactly. So what's your opinion on that? Well, um, my opinion on that is sort of mathematically expect the unexpected. So mm -hmm. as you try to create what I always term, a lot of people use the word system. I use the word strategy because strategy encompasses everything, including discretionary guys and people who are um, uh, doing a combination of some indicators that are mathematical and combined together with pulling the trigger discretionarily themselves. And some that are totally automated completely to the point where you push the button and the orders go in, you know, um, I think what you have to do is you have to figure out first uh, who you are. Uh, like Chris and Tom should not trade exactly like each other because we have different amounts of money. We have different skill levels, different risk tolerances, different understanding of some things. I mean, I've traded futures for probably 40 years. A lot of great traders have only traded, I think Mark uh, Minervini, you mentioned uh, earlier, um, in our uh, discussion before we went on. And I think he's just stock oriented. So right. that's yeah. not to say he isn't a great trader. It's just that he's not done that foray that I've done in futures. And in some ways you have to know who you are. You know, are you trying to do stuff in 10 minutes? Like <laughs> the logo behind your head there, a 10 minute stock trader, or are you trying to hold positions 
you know, for a long period of time? Are you trying to hold them for 10 minutes? You know, are you trying to just uh, close out everything by the end of the day? There's just so many different ways of making money. And I think what you have to do is realize that markets are going to throw you some curveballs mm-hmm. and build that into your mentality, build it into your risk tolerance, build it into uh, what you're going to expect from what the markets give you. And if you do that, you can build the math around unexpected things and survive. Uh, the most uh, impactful one to me was we were totally automated at Trendstat and we have a computer problem one night and the computer guy and myself are, are working and I go out and buy dinner to just give us a break. We come, we eat dinner, we go back, we find the mistake, he's fixing it. So I just happen to be almost you know, waiting for him to finish so we can send the orders in and go home. And it's like eight o'clock at night now. And I should have been home at four 30, you know, I'm, I'm uh, solving this problem. And I look at the oil markets and I look at our, our returns oil's gone from a close of 32 up to 40. And I'm wondering what the heck is going on. So I quickly, you know, dance around with a global, uh, with a, uh, like a Google search of some sort. And I find out that we've just uh, invaded Iraq. This is H.W. Bush years. Oil's gone from 32 to 40. And they said, wow, this is going to be interesting tomorrow because we're long. Well, by the morning when I walk in the door, my head trader turns around, sees me come in the door and says, oil's gone to $22 a barrel. (laughs) And we're we're now out. And in a couple accounts, we're short. Wow, that was unexpected. Now, yeah. Now, the volatility controls, the risk controls, and everything else on that short sale signal kept us out of crude oil because it was such a humongous number that you had to have tens of millions of dollars or something to have even one contract of crude oil mm-hmm. because it was just it, crude oil was insane at that point. And so you think about the math and you think, and we just followed our strategy. We did Mm -hmm. everything completely automated, didn't change a thing. And, you know, a couple, we did have a bad day. We lost about five to 7 million or something across all the accounts, but that was a a bad day. That's all it was. And we were at new highs like two months later or something, Uh, no big deal. So you got to build those things into your thinking and your strategy and you'll be fine. You know, you mentioned my website, 10 minutestocktrader.com. The way mm. that I came up with that, and I know it's the most clickbaity thing possible intentionally, <laughs> right? But part of it too was that um, when I learned how to trade, I the only I couldn't do it on my work computer during the day. So I mm. bought an iPad with the data plan and I'd pull it out for my backpack and I only had like 10 minutes a day to make anything happen. Yeah. So I was like, I, I can't day trade. There's no way that I'm gonna be able to uh, make this happen all day long. So, there you go. so now I just trade at the end of the day. I try and get everything I need done within a, a small time window, hopefully ten minutes or so. And you know, when I was doing that, learning everything, it reminded me a lot of you know Mr. Serenity, right? Not stressing over markets, and it also reminded yeah. me of like Ed Sakota because yeah. you know he's famous because like I, I know specifically in Market Wizards. Uh, Jack Schwager describes how he walks in, he pushes a couple buttons, a few minutes later, he's done. And I was like, that's where I want to get to. Right. So how do you feel about, uh, how do you feel about people who, when they want to get into the market, like, like with the recent COVID crash, right? So many people came into our space, which is awesome. But a lot of them gave up all of their stimulus money in the process. How do you feel is the best way for an individual to just get started? 
right? Because there's so many different strategies, like you talked about. Where did, where where should someone just start? I think I don't know. I, you know, certainly there's a lot of interviews out there floating around. I I know on my interview page on EnjoyTheRide.World, you could listen to me being questioned by all sorts of different people for dozens and dozens of hours, uh, all free. And so there's, there's that resource, there's books that are very inexpensive, you know, you for a, a total of a thousand dollars, you could probably buy a, a, a dozen or more books that are really good on various aspects of training, uh, trading. And I've got a list of those on the website as well. And they're not by me. I'm re- just, I like one of the, the, uh, the best books I've ever heard or read on, um, multiple systems trading was written by a friend of mine, Lawrence Bensdorp out of Brazil these days. He he's lived at a number of places. He speaks six languages. Oh, wow. He, um, he wrote an excellent book called, I think, automating your stock portfolio that really breaks down how you can attack the problem of blending multiple strategies together. And uh, so, you know, books like that give you lots of good ideas on where you might want to start your journey Trade Your Way to Financial Freedom by Tharp is a classic. I've mm-hmm. always loved it. It covers the buy-sell decision. It covers position sizing to an extent, and it covers the mental side of trading. And I think you have to have all three of those in place if you're going to be successful. So that's a good starting point. Um, there's lots of other guys that have been interviewed out there that are also free if you can track down the interviews, the stuff like your websites, uh, lots of other ones. Uh, Covell does lots and lots mm-hmm. of trader oriented, uh, you know, interviews with guys like Larry Height that you, you, I know you've interviewed and, uh, and me, he's done three, you know, we, and Covell and I wrote that mindset book together. Um, that's, that's been very popular with people. There's a lot of thoughts there. So that's kind of the way I look at it is you just have to start the project and say, Hey, I don't know anything, but let's spend at least six months thinking about it and designing what you're going to do first. Yeah. Have a plan. Don't just go in and say, Oh, I've got a stimulus check and let's, let's uh, roll the dice. That's about what it is. You know, I have no idea what you're doing. You just put a high probability on losing. I think. Yeah, I think so. You know, Covell's book trend following uh, I've bought two of the editions of it. My favorite edition is the 2004 edition. And I was just on uh, Benzinga the other day doing a live stream with them. And mm-hmm. uh, I was like, if you want to know where to start, grab this book. It's an easy read, but yet it makes so much sense to me. Yeah. The the trend following aspect. And that's, that's the way I trade, right? It's the uh, compendium of trend following. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's so heavy that it you is. use it as a doorstop. Yeah. It is, uh, it's an extremely, uh, it's worth the money. I think it's a, uh, it's a very good effort by Michael to, just pull everything possible out there into one book. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a classic. So what are some of the resources that that you found helpful along the way? Because, I mean, you think about how blessed we are today. You know, it, it's like um, back 100 years ago, if there were podcasts and whatnot, somebody would have interviewed Henry Ford, right? And said, yeah. how did you come up with this, right? We can yeah. actually hear from the mouth of these people, right? So Elon yeah. Musk changing the world and people get to talk to him. Right. Yeah. You yourself, right. Being one of the, uh, the market wizards. What's, yeah, what sort it, of resources do you, do you look to? 
Well, back when dinosaurs roamed the earth and before, uh, you know, personal computers and before everybody was walking around with a cell phone in their pocket and can get, you know, tick by tick quotes, um, it was pretty tough to, to get much uh, uh, knowledge from anybody. There really was uh, no appreciable amount of internet browsing. There was uh, emails didn't really happen. Uh, you know, you sent stuff by letter and fax. So learning was a lot of just sort of getting data and then with a calculator, not a computer, mm -hmm. add, subtract, multiply and divide in pieces of paper and pencil. I spent weekends sometimes just doing a study on one market maybe and just trying to go through and see where the, an indicator that I was working on might give you buy sell signals and then draw up a chart by hand with pencil and paper and mark where the buy and sell signals would be. That's what I was back where I started. And uh, there weren't a whole lot of books on trading so much. Uh, there was uh, reminiscence of a stock operator, I think was still, was out then. And there was a few others, but it was pretty sketchy. And I think what's happened since the seventies, let's say, is there's been an explosion. I mean, especially after 80, when the PC came in, the IBM PC hit the market and we bought our first one and wow, that was exciting. And, uh, you know, after that, things got cheaper and faster and there was more electronic communication. So then more information started coming in, which just accelerating my learning because I was able to then, you know, read the first Market Wizard book, for instance, and uh, picked up some ideas from Larry Hyde. Actually, the chapter on Larry Hyde gave me some ideas about risk control and later on after the famous silver trade I went through that was in New Market Wizards, uh, I, I created the math for uh, Trendstat's volatility controls. And that was really instrumental in helping Trendstat be a little bit more of a smooth operator over the years and last 28 years in the business successfully. And for me to retire comfortably, I think, and I still use that stuff. And so that goes all the way back to Market Wizards. And I think Nowadays, it's so much easier to get almost so much information. You could confuse yourself. I mean, yeah. you got to kind of sift through the gems of wisdom that apply to you and uh, throw away the other stuff. And you might have to listen to an entire hour of somebody talking to pick up the one aha moment, you know, that, ah, that makes sense. I got to incorporate that into my trading, but at least you have the resources and a lot of it's free. Mm -hmm. So uh, a new trader has no excuse to, to not have a lot of uh, good information. Uh, it's available out there. You just gotta, gotta track it down and listen to it. And filter out what's, what's worth listening to and what's not worth listening to. The, yeah. the people who I first learned to trade from, they're, they're still very active online, but I, I, I don't think they make money. Like I, I honestly can't see mathematically how they make money when they just sell naked options all day, right? Yeah. I don't understand how anybody the the theory is there, but mm -hmm. in practice, when you, when you have one trade that wipes out the next 30, mm -hmm. it doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, you, it's hard to control your, if you're just doing naked and there's no limit on it. I, I do do, uh, I sell uh, spreads sometimes mm -hmm. uh, about once a week, probably, and only with a one week expiration. So it's not like I'm going way out three, four or five, six months. Yeah. And I have it capped. So I usually have somewhere in the neighborhood of a 
it's a little bit better than a 50% chance of somewhere around 60 to 70 of picking up that premium Mm -hmm. versus taking a loser, but the loser is capped. The winner is, um, you know, a reasonable amount, especially given that you're compounding it once a week. So you're picking up sort of, um, nickels in front or pennies in front of the steam, roller steam roller, kind of right <laughs> uh so to speak but in my case i've cut the steam lo- uh, the steamrollers uh, ability to crush me using the spread concept instead of just a naked option and so that's been a profitable stream for me uh, in the most recent uh, oh probably year and a half i've been doing it and oh yeah that's yeah and that's pretty that's one of the eight strategies that I employ now across, I think yesterday I had something like 51 positions mm. and um, takes me about 20 minutes, 25 minutes tops to get everything done and yeah. ready for the next day. So I, similar I, to, it's not 10 minutes. I'm, I'd like to get, well, I'm, I'm not managing on, 51 positions either. <laughs> I'm working on that. I'm working on, I mean, I got 25 futures markets. I trade and I got another 20 sector funds and I've got a whole bunch of momentum ETFs that I trade and I got the options and I trade a Bitcoin futures program. And I got, the, there's just a lot of stuff going on. It just takes me a little time to go through each one, make sure everything's fine. And then, uh, mm-hmm. then I'm good for the day. Uh, 24 hours go by and I got to do it again. Right. So when you were as an engineer trying to figure all this out, there wasn't, you know, well, I assume, was there literature out there on the trend following tactics and strategy Um, or or was this something you, you developed through trial and error? I tell you the way I did it, it was very strange, but I had point and figure charts of uh, about 10 or 15 different commodity markets. So I had corn and I had wheat and I had live or lean hogs and live cattle and, you know, gold and a few other, you know, crude oil. And what I did with those hand-drawn X's and O's, if you've ever looked at a point and figure chart back Mm -hmm. in the old years before computers that compressed a lot of information down into one piece of paper because you didn't have scrolling screens like you do now. So lay those down on the floor and then stand up and I'm six, three. So that's a long way from the floor. And you just look down and you, you immediately can see that, Oh man, I wish I'd gotten that corn trade. I, that was dead beat. That'd make my year right there. Big, mm-hmm. long run. You can just spot it from a distance. And boy, that really, that crush in gold where it just fell off the table and went down hundreds of points or thousands of points. That's another one. I'd love to be short gold during that move right there. And that's kind of what led me to trend following because I figured out I've got to figure out how to capture those very long runs and the rest of the stuff. I just need to stay out of trouble. Mm-hmm. Just need to, you know, sit tight, not do anything, you know, hopefully not get whipsawed too much. Although I didn't even know the term probably back then. And, uh, and that's led me to how can I make sure that I'm going to always catch every one of those big runs and trend following is the map that you end up with. And, uh, so I just kind of developed at that point, if it broke out of the point and figure chart, I wanted to be in on it. Yeah. And it turns out that was trend following. I didn't even know that at the time. It makes sense. Yeah. You know, I, yeah, I, 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 uh, one of my goals this year, which I've actually achieved now, uh, was to read a hundred books over the course Uh. of the year. 
Uh, I think I'm at like 104 now. I'm a huge reader, right? And I remember yeah. one of the stories, uh, and I, I can't, because they all blend together at this point. One of yeah. the stories was you take the charts, you throw them down on the floor, you stand up on top of the desk and you look down at it. And that's yeah. the way the trend is going. Right. That's pretty much it. Yeah. And it sounds a lot like what you were saying with the, you know, being 6'3 and towering down upon these charts. <laughs> so, yeah. If, uh, yeah. I, in fact, with my eyes now, I had better eyes back in those years. I've ruined them over the years in front of computers and charts. But uh, now I wear glasses pretty much all the time. This is, this, these are computer glasses. Then I've got my long distance glasses and I got my reading glasses. And yeah. <laughs> and uh, yeah, it sucks getting old. Yeah. I, uh, I'm glad that I still have some of the hair up on my head. I'm 35 now. I'm, <laughs> my, I'm glad to have mine's have. gray and getting thin. <laughs> so, so Tom, there's yeah. a, there's this incredible tweet that, that I actually printed out and put on my, my wall over there. And it said that your trading edge is your offensive weapon. Your risk management is your defensive weapon and your trading psychology is the ability to balance both of your weapons. Most mm-hmm. traders, when they start, they only focus on my entry, right? But now at this point in my career and, and when I talk to people, I spend so much more time on the risk management side and on the psychology side. Mm-hmm. How do you feel that balances works? How do you think that those pieces, the offensive, the defensive, and the, the balance of the two, how do, you, how do you feel that those work together and what do you think is most important? I think the, the risk side is so much more important than the... Uh than going after the profit side. Um, an example of that driven home in spades was last year, the COVID crash followed by everybody thinking it was going to double bottom, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. It went V bottom straight up. And those folks like myself that are just staying with whatever they do. Uh, I mean, a lot of traders shut down on the this crash. They just said, this is insane. Um, I'm out of here for a while till the markets settled down and they missed not only maybe some of the downswing, but they also missed the upswing and they cost themselves vast counties of money. I, I trade conservatively. I've always, I've always traded conservatively, but in retirement, I probably trade even a little more conservatively. And, uh, and I have 103% return last year. And it's just because it wasn't because I was brilliant. It wasn't because I did anything special. I did the same thing last year that I'm doing right now. Nothing has changed. I probably have backed the risk down even a little bit more after making so much last year. I said, that's a little insane. I need to back, back it down a little bit. But it was just that the markets moved so much last year that if you were just following what you're doing and trend following, you got some huge moves that were very, very profitable and it all adds up, you know, and you, you catch the downswing and then you turn around and you go long and you catch the upswing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in all those commodity markets, like palladium was going nuts and platinum was going nuts and gold and silver were going crazy. And crude oil went negative at one point. Yeah. If you were short crude oil, you made a ton of money. I was, uh, you had all sorts of movement in currencies and it was all happening at the same time. So it was very, very profitable period of time. And I think that's the, the thing to learn from that one example is that you don't have to work very hard to try to make money and to be aggressive in terms of uh, going after the profits. You need to protect against the times when, uh, 
it's going to clock you and you're going to be out of the game. So if you can protect the risk and just wait for the markets to do what they always do sooner or later, make a move and exploit it, then you're, you're golden. And I think that too many people focus on trying to do the profit side of it. And mathematically speaking, I can tell you that tr studies we did back at Trendstat literally said to, with, in spades to us, we knew that risk management and uh, position sizing was far more important than our entries and exits. We know for sure. We tested it. So how, because you know, I'm trying to think from the mind of a, of a new person, right? How does risk management and position size, right. how is that more important than the profits? Well, well, I ran a study back at Trendstat Days that uh, took a random number generator and we flipped a coin every afternoon and then we would buy on a heads and sell on a tails the next morning at market. And then we would put a ATR, uh, average true range volatility based stop behind it and we would trail it. So as the market moved up, stops moved up, eventually you're always going to stop out. When you stop out, you flip the coin again and heads you buy, tails you sell. So think about that kind of math for a buy and sell engine. And you, uh, you're always going to catch every major move because sooner or later, you're either going to, if the move's going against you and you flip the coin wrong, let's say you, you, you got tails and you went short, mm -hmm. but the market went up, you're going to stop out. Right. fairly quickly. And then you're going to flip the coin again. Sooner or later, if you have a big long trend, you are going to flip it heads. You're going to be in on the buy. You're going to catch the trend and it's going to make you a bunch of money. But because every time you ran one of these studies through a whole bunch of different markets, through a, lots and lots of years of time, you would come up with a different result. We would run 1000 run batches. So we'd go through and be flipping coins and moving stops a thousand different runs. And then we'd average all that information up and get statistics off of it. Every time we would run it thousand cases, it on average would make a profit. Now, if you didn't manage the size of your position while you were doing it, you didn't make a profit. The difference between with a random number buy sell or actually a buy sell engine that would get you into the trade. So mm -hmm. the entry, which is what everybody's always obsessed with would not make money flipping a coin without money management and risk management, mm -hmm. but with the same exact formulas that I put in my book, uh, successful traders size their positions. Why and how I think I call, called it thousands of copies have sold, simple high, uh, junior high school math, add, subtract, multiply, divide. Managing your size of the positions made the difference between a slight profit versus a slight loss. So to us, it was a pretty, um, pretty clear indication that you had to do a good job of your position sizing. Larry Height said it in his chapter in Market Wizards, you have to make your bet sizes the same. Mm -hmm. And it's, I don't think he was referring to just simply the dollars. Uh, you know, if you're going to buy X dollars of Amazon and X dollars of some, you know, 70 cent stock, 
they're going to have very, very different characteristics. You've got to figure out what kind of risk are you taking on in both of those positions? What kind of volatility are you taking on in both those positions? And make those bet sizes the same. That's where you start getting into uh, risk and volatility sizing of your positions. And I think, you know, we did that at Trendstead for most of our career. And that's probably why we survived 28 years when many other CTAs disappeared. Yeah. Um, That that reminds me somewhat of uh, the turtle traders, right? Especially mm -hmm. because they, uh, they use the ATR as well. And, and truthfully that that's part of my trading strategy is volatility based sizing based on the ATR, which I specifically, I got the, the, uh, the yellow trend, uh, uh, turtle trader brook and yep. I marked the pages and I'm like, okay, so for when I size my trades, I go to this amount and that, so yeah, yeah I, I, I literally use that like a textbook. Um, but during that time, this, did you come up with the ATRs or are you and your team or, or was that something you had heard through like the, uh, the ecosphere of being in that world and maybe it that was, the turtles were doing it and how'd that work? Uh, it actually was me with a math background and engineering background, reading the Larry Height chapter from Market Wizards and interpreting the questions Jack was asking and the answers Larry was giving and thinking in terms of math Mm-hmm. about he's making his bet sizes the same and he's talking about exposures and that sounds like dollars of risk. Uh, and then I, so I started playing with that. I said, well, I, I know where I'm buying and I know where I'm selling if I, it goes against me. So that must be my risk. What if I took that and said, I don't want this to be any greater than a certain percent of my equity. So I don't expose my risk or my, my equity to too much risk on from any one position. So I picked a percent and tried to do the, the crunching. And then I realized that the lower I make that percent, the smoother my results get. The higher I make that percent, the more money I could make, but the more wild a ride I take. And I tried to come to a uh, sort of a, an optimal point that I felt balanced a reasonable amount of return for a reasonable amount of risk that my clients would be able to tolerate. And later on, when I discovered that volatility goes hand in hand with how much risk that I'm taking on the position, but there are some instances where you could have a, say, large risk and a small volatility and other times where you can get those very rare opportunities where you can take a small risk, but have a high volatility. And I wanted to always err to the most conservative side of it. So I added the same math for volatility. So volatility as a percent of equity, as a percent of equity and risk as a percent of equity. When I took the, those calculations and set fixed levels that I felt like I could tolerate or my clients could tolerate, I created that math out of Larry Height's chapter and what, how he answered Jack's questions. It just, I could see the math in my head and I just started playing with it and programmed it and the way we went. That's pretty amazing. And and for, for somebody listening to this, if they're not already doing that, I think now might be a good time to start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I can't imagine what a newcomer to the industry and trying to trade and, and just has no clue, you know, you got, I don't know, 10,000 you're starting with or something and you come up with how, how do I mean, do I buy a hundred shares? Do yeah. I buy a thousand shares? Right. Do I buy 50 shares? Nowadays, you can buy fractional shares even, I mean, on, yeah. on some platforms. And 
So there's no excuse not to size your positions correctly. So think of it in terms of you want to have the same exposure every time when you go into a trade. You don't want to bet too big. You don't want to bet too small. You want every position in the portfolio to have sort of an equal chance of helping you and hurting you. If, if you've got 90% of your money in one position and, and 10% spread across nine other positions, you're not diversified. Mm-hmm. You're, you really have a one position portfolio with some window dressing over here. And uh, so you got to, and you got to do that every day. The other thing I hear people, they get in a position and it goes their way. Great, right? Three months later, they still hold the same exact position and it's dominating their portfolio. And when they look up the tickers, you know, to see how they're doing, they, they go right to that one position because that's, that's driving the portfolio now. There's no reason why you can't continue to manage it, peel off some of that and say, no, I, I mean, I appreciate the profits. I still want to stay with this trade, but I shouldn't stay with that much. I should start peeling back to the point where it becomes a portfolio again. You don't mm-hmm. let any one position dominate. You just keep managing it day after day after day. And I think a lot of traders don't do that. I think they're missing the butt. Yeah. They have a- so we talked about the risk management aspect of mm-hmm of it. But on the offensive side of the equation, what do you look for in a stock, right? I'm not saying, you know, what, what's your strategy, Tom, right? Or or what moving averages do you use, Tom? And things like that. It's like, what do you look for in a stock? I look for liquidity at this point. I also Mm -hmm. look for um, just a modicum of, is it producing a profit or not? I'm not into buying stuff that's startups and IPOs and all that end up stuff. I'm, I'm retired. I want to try to take life easy. Uh, so I don't do anything too awfully stressful. I trade a lot of ETFs these days to get rid of corporate risk. So I don't even have to screen stocks. But if I'm looking for a stock, I want something that's going to move because when you're a, a trader, if you think of the, the problem you've got, you got to buy low, sell high or sell high, buy low. And if you don't have any movement, you can't do that. Right. If it's buy at one price and it then doesn't go anywhere, there's no profit to be made. And uh, so I look at historical volatilities, ATRs, anything I can get on in that area, depending on which screener I'm using, uh, and, and look for liquidity so that I'm not dominating a market. I don't want to go into some 70 cent stock if I'm going to be all the volume that day. That's not yeah. particularly comfortable to me. Uh, and I want to be able to do it easy. I don't want a lot of strain. I want to just like market on open orders. I don't want to have to work the trade, mm-hmm. you know, and sit there pumping in thousand shared blocks of a $2 stock and uh, kill my morning. I'd rather be out hitting golf balls or something. Yeah. So that's kind of the way I look at it. I don't go much more deep than that. I mean, I'll, there's a lot of stocks. I don't even know exactly what they do. Uh, but their numbers come through as having volatility, having profits. I might in, I have a one sentence understanding of, you know, they drill oil or whatever, I, you know, mm-hmm. something, but I don't, I don't delve into a, a one hour read of the fundamentals of the company and look over their balance sheets and all that stuff. Uh, that takes way too much time. Yeah. And, and, you know, that that's the trend following way, right? Mm-hmm. Is you're just riding the wave as it's going, uh, exactly. irrespective of what the company is. Exactly. 
I know I, there's been plenty of times where I bought something where I'm like, I, I this is the first time I've ever heard of it. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> but I've done up. that lots. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Over a lifetime. Yeah. I've done that a lot of times. Yeah. So now looking back, Tom, all the way back where you were sitting around with your engineer friends, what would you have told yourself knowing what you know now, talking to your younger self, what would you tell tell yourself back then as far as trading goes? Well, I guess having lived this long and been through, been through so many bear markets uh, uh, in the stock market for sure, I think I probably tell my younger self that you know, you're going to be obsessed with where to buy and sell. And then you're eventually going to figure out that sizing your positions is more important than the buys and sells. And then you're going to realize as you get a lot older, that being disciplined and aware of your uh, mental states and being able to control those, deal with potential stressors, well, all the things that go into being Mr. Serenity, supposedly, all that, that the Mr. Serenity side of things in life, not just trading, is far more important than the position sizing. And the position sizing is far more important than the buy-sell engine. And most mm-hmm. traders do it exactly the opposite. They start, as, and I did too, start out obsessed with charts and where's the breakout and how, you know, how you're going to get in and out. And then eventually you realize, wow, you got to do the defensive thing and position size properly. And then eventually you get seasoned by several bear markets and several drawdowns that you come out of and survive and make new highs. And you start realizing that's part of the trading game. It's like breathing in and breathing out, as Ed Sakota said once, uh, you know, you can't just breathe in, even though that's bringing in that good oxygen that you need to live you have to breathe out every now and again too. Yeah. So that's kind of trading. It's gains and losses. That's part of the, the whole process. And just getting them in the right mix is what you have to do to be successful. And I think the mental side of doing that is so much more important because I don't care if you're totally automated. You're Ed Sakota and you push the button and 10 minutes later, you're all done and you walk out of the office. And you didn't lift a finger and the orders went in and everything was perfect. You as a human being can choose not to hit that button. It's your money. It's your systems. You have control. So if you are freaked out by the COVID situation in early 2020, you can choose to not hit that button and Mm -hmm. mess up everything, which a lot of traders did. So automation is just a way of leveraging your time. It's a tool. It isn't the most important thing. It's you are the most important thing. And I think once you realize that and work on yourself first and get your head, sc- head straight for trading, I, I think then you're, uh, you're going to be way ahead of the game, way ahead of a lot of other traders who don't have their head on straight. Yeah. Well so. said, Tom. I appreciate that. You know, I'm going to leave it there. I think that that's a really good place to end on. Let's let me ask you this real quick before we head out there, Tom. Sure. Tom, where what is your book called? Because I'm going to go grab one or several. On, well, uh, on several. <laughs> yeah, that's what trend, I was... trend following mindset is the interviews. Oh, I have that one. Yeah, that's a yep. big thick one too. Um, that's that's one of them. That's most recent, and then the one before that 
I actually wrote it while my wife was rehabbing from a, uh, a shoulder surgery and I had to, she couldn't drive. So I had to go to with her to rehab and I'd sit out in the lobby with my laptop and I just knock out another chapter every time she went to rehab. So in a couple months, I wrote the whole book. It's only like 80 pages, but it gives you all of the math of how Trendstat and now me in retirement uh, used to actually size my positions. Which and book was allowed, that? The Successful Traders? Successful size Traders Size Their Positions, Why and How. Yeah, I see that here. That one's coming home with me today. <laughs> and then is this panic proof investing? Is this one of yours as well? Yeah. What I did with that one, this was written back in my Trendstat years. And what I was trying to do is help my average investor understand the process of good investing so that they would allow me to be the best money manager I could be. Because ultimately when you're in the money management business, you are the hired gun that is hired for a specific amount of time until you are fired and sooner or later you are, uh, or, or you shut the firm down like I did and, uh, and you retire. You are hired gun for a certain period of time and your clients give you the right to be that hired gun and they mm -hmm. can fire you. So realizing that it's them that you're trying to make better and trying to improve what they're doing, it, it allows you to do more as a money manager. So that book was more along those lines. It was trying to help just investors understand the process of good investing and not get themselves in all these terrible situations that you see investors getting themselves into yeah. by doing just absolutely stupid, preventable things. And so that's kind of what that book was about. Oh, man. Well, I'm going to have to check these out. Tom, I, uh, I gotta say, I really do appreciate your time. This is a, uh, it's a true honor to be able to have, you know, a, a, the opportunity to speak with you, right? It, it's so awesome of you to be able to, to lend us your time and, and to share this with the, the people. I have fun. I, you know, every time I do one of these, I get to reminisce and I get to have fun answering questions that I haven't answered before in some cases. And, uh, they're always fun. I, I enjoy it. And uh, I enjoyed today. Well, well, thank you for that, Tom. I appreciate it. We'll be in touch soon with uh, with all the links and everything. And, you know, again, thank you so much and have a fantastic weekend out there in Arizona. Yeah, I will. All right. Talk later, Tom. Okay. So what'd you think? That was pretty incredible, right? I have three special free gifts for you over at 10minutestocktrader.com. That's the triple stock profits ebook you can get for free. That's a bullish power cheat sheet that you can get for free. And if that wasn't enough, at the brand new web class, how to easily discover proven backtested 100% plus winners, that is for free as well. You can get these three free gifts, all yours at 10minutestocktrader.com. The triple stock profits ebook, the free web class, and the bullish power cheat sheet. And all you gotta do is go to 10minutestocktrader.com. Hey, if you like this video, let me know by leaving me a like below and then subscribe and share it with somebody you think could use it as well. Be sure to comment below with your biggest takeaway from this episode and any suggestions you have for future episodes. And finally, make sure you watch these other videos to help you trade faster and trade smarter. And I'll see you on the next episode. 10MinuteStockTrader.com content is for information and educational purposes only. It is not, nor is it intended to be, trading or investment advice or recommendation that any security, futures contract, options contract, transaction, or other financial instrument or strategy is suitable for any person. Trading securities can involve high risk and the potential for total loss of any funds invested. 
10minutestocktrader.com and Christopher Yule, through its content, financial programming, or otherwise, does not provide investment or financial advice or make investment recommendations. Investment information provided may not be suitable for all investors and is provided without respect to the individual investors and audience's financial sophistication, financial situation, investing time horizon, or risk tolerance. 10minutestocktrader.com and Christopher Yule are not in the business of trading securities trades, nor does it direct client commodity accounts or give commodity trading advice tailored to any particular client situation or investment objectives. TimminusStockTrader.com and Christopher Yule are not licensed financial advisors, registered investment advisors, or registered broker-dealers. Stocks, options, futures, futures options, and other financial instruments not included here involve risk and are not suitable for all investors. You alone are responsible for making your investment and financial trading decisions and for evaluating the merits and risks associated with the use of any financial security and broker platform. For more information, please visit TimminusStockTrader.com legal. And thanks for stopping by.